The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. This is a message about happy hearts, happy songs, happy missionaries, and most especially about the source of all that happiness, our amazingly happy God. In these last several weeks, I've been studying in my small group with, uh, with some men who brought me to this text, this quote from John Piper. Nothing glorifies God more than maintaining our stability and joy when we lose everything but God. That day is coming for each of us, and we do well to get ready and to help the people we love to get ready. This is serious joy. As has been said, we're in the middle of a three-part message, series of messages on our vision statement that is stenciled on the wall to my right. And uh, I would like us to stand again and look at that vision statement. So let's stand. And uh, I would like us to recite it together with special emphasis on the theme of the morning for the joy of all peoples. Ready? Spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen and be seated. There are some words that, that we need to especially focus on as we think about that vision statement. The first word to focus on is a word that's not there. You can't put everything into a single sentence or vision statement. You have to leave out some important things, like the word faith. You won't find it on that vision statement. It's not there. But it, it was in the text. I hope you kept your Bibles open. Please, if you didn't, open them back up. This that uh, Pastor Dave read for us has been called the greatest sentence ever written. In fact, in Greek, it's one long sentence. And the word faith is to be found in the 13th verse. We who were the first to hear the gospel and believe this word of salvation, to believe, there it is. Faith is the great opener of the heart. It's the, it's the master virtue. It unlocks all the other ones. Without faith, the writer of Hebrews says, it's impossible to please God. We have to believe that he exists and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. <laughs> the only thing that counts, according to the Apostle Paul, in the book of Galatians is... Now, here we're moving from one word to another. And this is a word that you will find in our vision statement. The only thing that matters is faith working through love. See that word? See the word love in, uh, in, the, in the vision statement? Well, no. <laughs> no, you don't see that word, but you see a synonym for it. You see a word for passionate love, ardent love. There it is. We exist to spread a passion 
the supremacy of God. In other words, it doesn't do God any favors. It doesn't give him much praise simply to verbally assent to his existence, to believe that he exists, or in that belief just to have a kind of room temperature attitude about him, to spread that notion that, yeah, no, on the contrary, we exist to spread an ardent love, a passionate love for, the, for our God, for all the world to know and see. <laughs> now, where does joy fit in? Well, the, just as the essence of faith is love, love working through faith, so the essence of love is joy. Are you with me? <laughs> faith, love, joy. And this joy, being the essence of love and being the essence of faith, is something of the necessity of, our, of God producing in our hearts. Now let's recognize that all that we've talked about here, we cannot just gin up. We can't work it up in our own selves. This must be enabled by the Holy Spirit. Faith is enabled. He's, he's the one, I've heard this analogy before, when Jesus comes knocking at the door of our hearts, our natural inclination is to hide, you know, double bolt the locks because that guy's going to come in and change everything. Well, the Holy Spirit is the one dispatched to sneak around behind the back of the house, come in the window and say, whisper in our rebel hearts, don't do it. Let him in. You'll be set free. And when the Holy Spirit does that in a, pers for a persuasive way, <laughs> behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any of you, anyone opens the door to me, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So the Holy Spirit enables faith in the first place, and it is a faith that savors <laughs> what it sees. And in seeing, savoring what it sees, it, it's too good to keep to ourselves. And so we've got to tell, yeah, I mean, that's the way it is, isn't it? When you really are passionately in love, you don't keep that to yourself, whether it's what, whatever it happens to be. Most typically, I hope it's another person, <laughs> And most supremely, I trust that the persuasive powers of the Holy Spirit will enable you to supremely and ardently love Jesus and so to joy in him. So, there's that word passion. Now, the, word, the, the, uh, the hymn writer Isaac Watts really anticipated our uh, vision statement over 200 years ago. When he, when he penned one of his many hymns that we're going to start singing pretty soon. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Come on. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth. He goes right on. The Savior reigns. Let men and women and children their songs employ. 
while fields and floods and rocks and hills and plains repeat, echo back what we're singing, what we're saying. Repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, for as the curse is found, he rules the world. Yes, he does. He is ruling the world right now, and he is and will make the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Bethlehem, if we are going to be passionate joy spreaders of God's glories, like Watts' hymn calls us to, we're going to need God's help. So let's pause right now and ask for it. Heavenly Father, you are more wonderful than we can take in at this point. But Lord, we have begun to see and we have begun to love and we do joyfully say to all the world, as our hearts have been prepared, so God, Prepare their hearts. Prepare our hearts here in this room so that we don't go out of here joyless, but filled with the, the joy of your glory. Do it now, Lord, please, by the exposition of your word, by the help of the Holy Spirit, and for the, the joy fulfillment of these, this joy-craving people. Please do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before drawing on uh, the book of Ephesians for additional motivation out of this sentence and other places in it, let's recognize, I think what I probably have already been saying, that joy in God is no little trickle of truth from the Bible. It's everywhere. For instance, in fact, it's like it is the heart of God. He, in fact, is so delighted with himself, so overflowing with his own joys that he's like a a river that always, always is running at flood stage. He wants to show himself off. He wants to show his beauty and goodness. He likes to look at it himself. That's why he made the world and put us at the apex of that creation as made in his image. The ones who can best do it are you and me. To be sure, the creation can't help but rocks, hills, and everything else. They they can't help but acknowledge the greatness and the glory of God. You and I get a choice in that matter. But it is a command of God. Imagine, of all the... You know, I used to ask the question to people. In fact, I, I would encourage you Complete this sentence. Did you know that God commands you to... Well, you, you're too well... Connie says rejoice. She knows, she knows the truth of it. <laughs> well, we heard all kinds of answers. To obey, um, to live a good life. To, did you know that he does, Connie? You're right. He commands us to be happy. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, 4. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult 
in you. There's a good word. Say the word exult. Say it. Exult. <laughs> we exalt a great God by exulting in him. Psalm 511. You shall rejoice in the Lord, in the Holy One of Israel. You shall glory in his name. And perhaps again, the, the forceful one, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. Or, Paul can't keep it to himself. He says in Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Joy in God, in other words, is a divine thirst quencher for our earthly lives, for the need that we have, a life often stalked by emptiness, misery, and guilt, or by little two-second pleasures. We are far too easily satisfied. And so, do you feel weak? Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Are you lost and uh, sick? of this world's empty pleasures. God will lead you in the paths of life. In your presence, you will find fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 1611. If you're a note taker, <laughs> these are golden. Zephaniah 317. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Are you afraid to call on the Lord for help and for joy? Jesus said himself, hitherto or up to this point, you haven't asked for anything in my name. Ask that you may receive that your joy may be full. <laughs> and oh, the wonderful experience that we have. Peter said it this way. Though we haven't seen him, we love him. Though we do not now see him, we believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. See the sequence there? Believe, love, joy. That's <laughs> what to ask of the Lord, fresh fillings of the Lord, to believe more, to savor more, to rejoice in that savoring. Where the theme of joy is concerned, you should search the Bible and never be very far from verses like this. Or here's a second song that filled my heart with joy. How long ago? It's an old Swedish song. Oh, let your soul now be filled with gladness, your heart redeemed, rejoice indeed. Oh, may the thought banish all your sadness that in his blood you have been freed. In God's unfailing love is yours that you the only son were given that by his death he has opened heaven, that you are ransomed as you are. If you seem empty of any feeling, rejoice you are his ransom bride. If those you cherish seem not to love you, and dark assails 
from every side. Still yours the promise, come what may, in loss and triumph, in laughter crying, in want and riches, in living, dying, that you are purchased as you are. It is a good, every good transcending, that Christ has died for you and me. It is a gladness that has no ending, therein God's wondrous love to see. Praise be to him, the spotless lamb, who through the desert my soul is leading to that fair city of joy exceeding for which he bought me as I am. Serious and sweet joy. I think the simplest way to unpack for the joy of all peoples out of the long sentence that the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 1 is simply to look at the three persons of the Trinity who have conspired the whole Godhead to show us his glory and to make us joy in him. So we begin with our Father in the phrases found in verses 6, 12, and 14. Are your Bibles opened? This expression, to the praise of his glory, or its near likeness, is found all three times in that sentence. It is the most comprehensive, all-encompassing phrase in the book of Ephesians, probably, and maybe in the entire Bible. To, to be to live to the praise of the glory of God. That's God's whole purpose, and it's your whole hope, whether you know it or not. Verse 6, to the praise of his glory begins it. Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And at the very end of the sentence, at uh, verse 14, the identical phrase to the praise of his glory. <laughs> We're learning in the Sunday school classes that uh, mining God's word that when you see a phrase over and over again, in fact, three times, it's probably the main point. <laughs> it's the thing we should get above and put in the context everything else. This six-word summary celebrates why everything that exists does so the whole wide world, and the tiniest little articles in it exist to boast about their creator. What's that mean? It means to show him off. It means to magnify his glories. And what are his glories? His glories are all the manifold perfections that we see in the world around us and that we can observe, especially if we have the eyes of faith through the Holy Spirit in the Word. The glories of his power of his wisdom, of his beauty, of his wealth, of his generosity. As I said before, we even sang about it. <laughs> and I started in on it a minute ago at the, at the wrong place. The creation, Henry Van Dyke's lyrics capture it in joyful, joyful, we adore thee, especially the second stanza. Stars and angels sing around thee, center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain, blooming meadow, flashing sea, chanting bird and flowing fountain, call us to rejoice 
in thee. That's what the world is, is doing. It's a, it's a kind of metaphor of the magnificence, <laughs> the beauty of God. We should see it everywhere. We should see him beyond the metaphor. As I said, they can't help it, but you and I can. And therefore, it's God's determined purpose that he will get a bride for his son who loves that son. And he has done all that can be done. He is so determined to receive the praise and the joy out of our hearts that he sent, that he sent himself in the, in the person of his son. He who has seen me, Jesus said, has seen the Father. What a father we have. See, this God isn't just big over little, strong over puny. He is a father. He is a father. I started thinking about fathers. <laughs> and uh, my daughter, youngest daughter, Lydia, signed me up online to... Uh, to tell my story and answer to a bunch of questions. They come sequentially. and So I, one of the questions that was asked is, um, do you have any favorite possessions? And I started thinking, yeah, pictures. I, I like my picture, these pictures that we have. And I have this wardrobe. It's a piece of furniture, you know, sort of like lying in the wish in the wardrobe. I got a wardrobe. It was given to me, <laughs> kind of like a wedding present. And then I thought about a gift that my dad gave me. It was a... It was a gift over time. Dad was a traveling salesman when I was a little boy. And every time he came home, or it seemed so, he would bring me a rock. <laughs> we started a rock collection. I think his oldest, his oldest brother was a geologist, and that's maybe where he got the idea. But he brought me rocks. And among the rocks that he brought me were these agates. <laughs> agates. And I showed them to... Some global partners who happen to be here this morning. I'm so thrilled that they're here. They got a close-up look at these, these, rock, these agates. <laughs> I've lost a few of them along the way. I thought I would say that before some of you thinking, yeah, Livingston has lost his marbles. <laughs> I mean, I loved, I loved, Dad, what did you bring me? What's the gift this time? <laughs> Until the day that he stopped coming. He didn't come. I guess we should have seen it coming, but uh, it wasn't good between him and mom. And so he went out of my life. <laughs> and so for many years, I didn't have a dad, a physical dad, a, bi a biological dad in my life. Until God went and reclaimed him. <laughs> And, uh, you know, probably 20 years before he died, he became not just my biological dad, but, but he joined the family of God. He's in heaven. I got two fathers in heaven now. <laughs> but at the same time that dad left, my heavenly father moved in on me. You do not have a heavenly father like any of our earthly fathers, good and wonderful as they might be. Those dads cannot always be there. Those dads cannot always satisfy you. They may die before you do. They may not have been good dads in the first place, but everything they aren't or to the best of their ability are falls infinitely short 
of this great Father that we have in heaven. That's the Father described in this sentence, in this book. And ready, ready to make you, to adopt you by grace, to adopt you into his family. As I said, what God has done in giving to us is to give himself. God is the gospel. God gives the best, namely, himself in the life of his son, in the perfect life of his son that Daniel talked about as he opened the service. Totally sinless, totally beautiful, totally lamb-like, laying down his life for us. I read the story about Jesus conversing with the woman at the well yesterday, maybe a couple of days ago. It says that the Father is now seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. <laughs> Though the Father was seeking us, there was a time when our backs were turned to him, when the door was locked. <laughs> but he's absolutely determined not to let our sin and rebellion be, have the victory. He won't let that happen. He is such a fa- good father. Look at the word, look, look at the verses three and four, right at the beginning of the, of the sentence. Blessed, and count the, that, that word, count the word blessed or blessing or blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It just keeps coming, doesn't it? It's like waves of grace and goodness. What's the first blessed? It's, it's the one word echo to give back to him. It's a benediction. Blessed are you, God. Blessed are you. Why? Why? Well, because you're, you're the one who has blessed me. How, how have you blessed me? Well, you have blessed me in Christ. Well, well who's he? <laughs> I should bless the Lord with my life because he has blessed me in Christ who is God's beloved. (laughs) The first disciples heard that voice from heaven (laughs) confirm that twice. Know the story, perhaps. Right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he comes up out of the waters of baptism (laughs) and the disciples hear the voice This is my beloved son. This is the beloved. And then again, on the Mount of Transfiguration, he takes three of the disciples up there, (laughs) and he's transformed before them. His clothes become brighter than the sun. He becomes brighter than the sun. And the disciples don't know what to say. (laughs) And the father breaks in (laughs) with (laughs) probably a, be quiet and let me tell you, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. Well, I want you to come back next Sunday. (laughs) That guy right over there, Lord willing, he's going to end our discussion, (laughs) our reaffirmation. What a good idea to periodically reaffirm why we exist. (laughs) And that's the statement of it.
Pastor Dave is going to talk to us about this beloved one through Jesus Christ. You know, it's a really good thing sometimes when we don't quite know what to pray simply to know the name Jesus. To say Jesus. Like Peter. Where else will you go? He is the one who has the words of life. Well, I'm poaching on Pastor Dave's territory, but I'm not worried. If Jesus is in the boat with him and us next week, there will be plenty of fish to catch, and they will all, I trust, be keepers. And so let me hasten to the third person, this incredible Heavenly Father, this beloved, blessed Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see in the phrase that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And you see in verse 13 that we have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. There are no less than 12. I don't have enough fingers for it. (laughs) 12 references to the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Just in the book of of Ephesians. There are many other places to go. You can go to to the Gospel of John from verses 14 forward. Jesus is talking about departing, but not leaving. He's coming back in the Holy Spirit. That's a great passage. You can go to Romans 8. That's a great passage on the Holy Spirit. He will help us in our weakness. But here, here in Ephesians, again, he is, the, he is God's seal of approval, the promise that, of the Holy Spirit. Apparently, in the Middle Ages, uh, uh, not very many people could read or write, and not, not even the, the nobility. But it became the habit uh, to seal a deal uh, for wax to be uh, heated and uh, put on an envelope and then the the, the royal signature uh, in in the ring put in place. Well, that's maybe something of the meaning of what it means that that God now officially, (laughs) by stamping us with the Holy Spirit, don't get the feeling that that's going to crush you. On the contrary, (laughs) it's going to demonstrate you to be the real deal. He is, in fact, that's 113. In 114, he is the guarantee. He's the down payment on our final installment of the inheritance that we have in him. That we have been ransomed means that we're now justified with him, but by him, that we're being sanctified by him. And now, someday, the final installment of our inheritance is that we're going to get new bodies. That's the, that's the end of the story. So before that, We've already got the guarantee in 114. In 117 through 18, we're given the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. He is our inward teacher. He's the illuminator. He's the props. He's, he's, you can, you, when you put on the Holy Spirit so that when you read, the, in fact, when you open the word, when you do your devotion, so just plow into it. When you open the word, get on your knees Open the word and then ask for the eyes of the Holy Spirit to understand and to feel. And if this is the, if this is the water of life, don't just read it. 
drink it, especially the kind of water that the Holy Spirit, that Jesus himself made in his first miracle, the best wine that anybody has ever tasted. Ask for that kind of draft of thirst-quenching joy to come into you. The spirit of wisdom and revelation, our inward teacher, who turns on the light of truth for our minds. 1, 17 and 18. 2, 18. Together with Christ, who is the great reconciler, the Spirit is the one who maintains our access to the Father at all times. He is the builder of the people of God. Not a physical temple. There was a temple in Ephesus as Paul was writing this letter. Big, one of the wonders of the world. And uh, the, the goddess Diana worshipped there. Not, not, not that kind of a temple. And not even the temple in Jerusalem that the Jews worshipped at. Remember what he was saying to the, <laughs> to the woman at the well? Not here, there, any particular place. It's in the spirit. It's in the spirit. And it's in building the body. I love to look at you as building materials, all of you, being fitted together. <laughs> that's what, the, that's what the God in the Holy Spirit does in this assembly of God's people. He makes us fit together. He reconciles us so that we do fit. <laughs> he helps us overcome the little rubbings that we can, or maybe the big rubbings that we can be to one another. He is the strength and power of God. Uh, Ephesians 3.16 he is the spirit of unity, chapter 4, verse 3. He is the one spirit, 4-4. Four, four. He's very sensitive. <laughs> he is God the spirit. He is not to be grieved, 4-30. He is the one to seek fillings from, many fillings, daily fillings, 5-18. He is the one who can armor us up so that we can stand against the devil. He will armor us up from foot to head, head to foot. And finally, that's a 6, 11 to 17. And finally, he is our great prayer partner, the person who accompanies and enables constant prayer. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Why don't you leave the happy heathen alone? <laughs> One of our global partners heard that from him, an old global worker in Africa. Why don't you leave the happy heathen alone? He answered, because I've never met a happy heathen. <laughs> People who are disconnected from God cannot be truly happy. They can be content blissful, satisfied, successful, good, moral, respectable, hospitable, yes, but not truly joyful in the deepest sense. So we've got to tell them, trade up. <laughs> trade up from your little pleasures to one that will never let you down. The same global partners said, one believer told me, I used to have money, power, possessions, and a good name. Now that all of that has been taken away, my family can't understand why I'm happy. <laughs> so
So let's repeat the, the Piper quote. Nothing glorifies God more than maintaining our stability and joy when we lose everything but God. And that is going to happen to all of us someday. We do well to get ready, and we do well to help others whom we love get ready. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.